Author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here. For those of you who are regular listeners, you probably expected us to be running a little behind. Seems like every week uh, something comes up, but that's, you know, that's the charm of the show. We're always running a few minutes late. So at any rate, uh, glad to have you out there listening. Uh, the guest today is a fascinating guy. John Potash is uh, a writer and director and producer of the new film, Shots, Eugenics to Pandemic, so, which I urge you to watch it. I watched it this week. Fantastic. And it's available for free out there on Tubi TV. So um, good that he got it on. It's also on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, and so forth. Uh, he's the author, and he also made a film about the, the drugs versus weapons against us, CIA's war on musicians and activists. And he also wrote another book, FBI War on Tupac Shakur, State Repression of Black, Black Leaders from the Civil Rights Era to the 1990s. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Don. Well, it, it's my pleasure. So how did you, you know, you uh, of course, we know you're from uh, uh, making the book and the film about the uh, Kind of the Dave McGowan type of thing. Dave was uh, somebody I've, I've been compared to many times. And I'm sure you know of his work, too. He kind of wrote about those kinds of things. So what made you, I know you've been, um, and you're like me. I think you're even more of a kind of a leftist. And that's what I was for a long time, but the left kind of left me. And I've seen you battle online with, especially since the vaccine, and because uh, most of the left has swallowed the hook, line, and sinker. And, and, and uh, you've been skeptical, to say the least. So is, is that what, what, what caused you to to uh, turn to this subject and how hard was it to get the film made? Yeah, so I was uh, just taking my my book, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA War on Musicians and Activists, uh, the book and the film. I was taking that and I decided I was going to just make a comical version of that, you know, an entertaining version of that versus the uh, film, which is just more straightforward. And um, so I was making that and uh, Towards the end of making that, uh, you know, March was around the end of March 2020. And that's when, you know, of course, COVID hit and it started getting, you know, stranger and stranger each month as I'm finishing that film. And I thought, well, I've got to write, you know, I've got to include a little bit about COVID at the very end of this film. And so it just fit right in because the fact that um, I was writing about Imperial College and how uh, I believe it was, you know, some of these psychedelic institutes had funded um, these huge studies, you know, on psychedelics at these institutes, just promoting psychedelics. And it just, that matched the, um, the CIA's front group, the Human Ecology Fund in the 1960s, that was part of MKUltra, which was the CIA Project MKUltra, which was the use, using drugs as weapons against us. So I just thought I'll put a little bit at the end of the film on that. And then every month as we got more and more into COVID, you know, things got more and more tyrannical, more bizarre. And I kept finding more and more evidence that this was this tyranny was planned and this tyranny was, um, you know, just going against everything you were supposed, you know, that they were supposed to do in response to a what really was a category two or three epidemic, according to the CDC own, own guidelines that they 
based on a study that they had put out, according to Alex Berenson, who's, who just like outlined that study in one of his books. And Berenson, you probably know him, but he was a New York Times, you know, 10-year New York Times veteran, then left there to uh, just publish novels and was successful with that, then published some nonfiction, nonfiction books. And then he started, he came out with this series about COVID, just, just basically outlining all the bizarre, tyrannical stuff that was going on with, with COVID and, uh, and just undermining you know, the narrative that the, the government was putting out, the mainstream media was putting out on that. And so that was just some of many sources I have in my film showing that you know, this, this appears to be you know, planned tyranny, of course, like, like the one film that came out, Plandemic, has some similar you know, topics that I talk about. But it, it's been planned and it's been uh, the same people behind this were behind the eugenics movement back in the early 1900s. And they basically, the Rockefellers, JP Morgans, Carnegie's, Harriman's, Bush's, you know, just kind of followed the, that fascist path up through history from the early 1900s to now. And you just see the same, same people uh, same companies, same multinational corporations such as IBM and General Electric, et cetera. And, you know, and the way they just propped up Bill Gates as their little puppet uh, to, you know, be behind this new, you know, sudden uh, computer firm of, you know, Microsoft and all that. Um, but it's uh, so he's just a, a front man for the, uh, the same groups that have been involved in all this stuff for for many decades, this kind of fascism. Donnie's still there, right? you froze a bit there. Oh, absolutely. So, I, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna have to, this is not, I, every time I try to, uh, the people out there have been contributing so much on Rockfin, they've, they've tipped so much, uh, the, the guys that are gonna use, are gonna get me and upgrade my equipment. <laughs> Whenever I try to go to the Rockfin chat room, then YouTube has YouTube has banned me again. So uh, when I live stream, YouTube is the one that I get a lot of action on. So they won't let me do it anymore. So that's why I'm not getting a comment I can see because they're from YouTube. And the Rock, if I go to the Rockfin chat, uh, you know everything freezes up. So I apologize to you at the Rockfin chat, I, and I appreciate your tips going in. Soon my equipment will be upgraded. One day soon, I'll be reading your chats live. So I, I, I apologize for that. But um, okay. I'll tell you, you what, know, if I can do it early on, early on, I'll bring it up yeah. myself, Don, see if I can't relate, relay some of the chat for you, if I can, to make it um, easier. on Wonderful. That'll be great. Yeah. It, but I'm not sure. I'll tell you if it, it doesn't, if it freezes it's probably, up. Probably, probably, but I don't, yeah, I don't know what's wrong. This, this is a relatively new um, <clears throat> laptop. It's got, very fast speed now. I upgraded my speed. I don't know. It's just something's yeah. wrong with it, especially with with uh, with Rockfin. It just doesn't work with it. So, yeah, if you can, that would be great. It's just it's just rockfin.com slash America Unplugged. You get to it. Yeah, you should see I the chat room there. But um, I was trying to advertise. Yeah. This, so uh, my Facebook. So I'll I'll try to get into it. Yeah. And uh, so go on. So yeah, right. I, I'm sure you you. Uh, Found some of the same stuff I found, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I was skeptical of this from. I, I didn't. I don't know if you had an initial period where you thought, okay, maybe this is the new Black Death, and you know, it's, maybe it's going to be as bad as they initially said, where millions would die and all their absurd projections at the end of the beginning, terrifying people, everything closing down, and certainly, 
I had to be shocked at that. What the response, you know, with everything shutting down. I mean, when I, re I remember when they canceled March Madness, and I said, yeah. this is serious because they're, and I still, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've investigated that at all. Maybe I don't think you did probably for this film, but I would still like to know who got what under the table because we know some of it, because those, the Major League Baseball and NBA and all the people that canceled playoffs, you don't, they don't do that without getting some kind of payment. So God knows what in the stimulus package, what they got. And when I, when they do, I said, man, this is really, they've, they've crossed another line here because they're, they're doing something that uh, they've never done before. So that's when I, but I, I, I was never, uh, I never believed it for a second. And uh, I, 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 obviously I know for a long time you haven't, but what, were you, concerned at first that maybe they were telling the truth for once or how, or did you just automatically say, well, this is, this makes sense. Well, you know, after investigating so much about us intelligence and, and things they've done in the past, like yourself, um, I, I was skeptical early on and, uh, I didn't, I, I thought there was payoffs like you. I thought there was a lot of payoffs going on you know, between the sports uh, league commissioner and owner and all that. I mean, when you look at the NFL, it's so embedded with the military. It's so yeah. incredibly embedded with the military. And that's just one example. I mean, obviously sports in general, as much as I like sports, I watch them all the time. Um, I still, you know, think it's a diversion. It's, you know, it's just a diversion to divert us sure. from seeing what the, you know, the oligarchs are doing to us next. And, uh, yeah. you know, it erode our time because we're, you know, we, most of us have to have full-time jobs and we do the, our writing and, and the filmmaking on the side, you know, and, uh, so it's, you know, the more they eat up our time, the harder it is for us to rebel and the harder it is for us to show what, you know, do the work we need to do to show what they're doing to us. So it is all tied tied into each other, and I'm sure there was a lot of payoffs to, to keep you know the sports leagues in line and to make them so harsh on athletes that wouldn't get vaccinated, you know, because the NFL yeah. is particularly tough when players not getting vaccinated. But yeah. so it was the NBA, and, of course, and the uh, and the baseball. Team. Yeah, wasn't it? I, I think I think it was Kyrie Irving that uh, I don't I, for a while at least they had this incredible thing where I think they wouldn't let him play home games or something. It, 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 yeah, they it, wouldn't let him play the Brooklyn Nets home games for like uh, <laughs> 80, 80 to 90% of the season. They finally changed the law. There was such an outcry that, you know, cause he's a star of Brooklyn that yeah. uh, they finally, you know, lobbied the mayor to change the law just for uh, athletes. Um, but there's a lot of you know, labor protests in general over that because uh, they were doing, they were trying to force all the, New York workers to um, you know get vaccinated and all too, so there's a lot of protest over that. Yeah. Well, and and if we look at what's happening in the sports world, and we're seeing uh, because I mean I don't think you touched on it in your film. You can obviously touch on everything, but one thing I'm more and more fascinated about is uh, this uh, the increase in the death rate, and I mean 40 percent last year. I mean people yeah. are dying at an unprecedented rate. The insurance agents, their uh, uh, companies are upset, understandably. But we see in sports, people have been, and I don't, I don't understand really how it hasn't happened. It has happened in this country, but it's mostly high school players. A college guy just died the other day. But you're not seeing like the professionals, which is, you know, of course, leads to conspiracy theories. Are they not giving these guys the shot? Because yeah. in Europe, it's happening everywhere. They're dropping dead on soccer fields. What, what do you know exactly. about that? I mean, this, this is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just saw a video about a thousand that covered a thousand different athletes and them dying, you know, in their prime, the average age, 23 years old, it went over the, the media, you know, alerts, you know, just about each one of these athletes dying. It's a long video. Um, but, you know, a thousand different athletes around the world, but a number of them were Americans. And so just as an example, in June, I just saw, you know, on ESPN that Calb Swanigan, the player of the year in the Big Ten, where University of Maryland basketball is, and I'm, I'm in Baltimore, so I follow University of Maryland basketball. And because uh, mm-hmm. I used to play a lot of basketball myself, loved basketball. And so uh, I would see this Cobb Swanigan, NBA player, 25 years old, died, they said, of natural causes. Now, <laughs> what 25-year-old what in great condition dies of natural causes? You know? Not natural. Yes. It's sad, but ridiculous. And, and you know, it you is. have to laugh when they, they try to hide it so blatantly. Natural oh, causes. Yeah. Yeah, what well, well, we're seeing in, in, in the celebrities, celebrities are dropping like flies. But if you just look at just like the last several off the top of my head, Gilbert Gottfried, James Kahn, and now Ivana Trump, uh, you know, uh, they're, they don't even list the cause of death anymore. They right. just, I mean, now they're saying she fell down the stairs or something. I, I, and I'm skeptical about all this because, you know, almost all, all these people certainly had all the jabs. You know that. Yeah. Well, I just off the top of my head, I'll say now. So my film basically was was finished at the beginning of, of the uh, jabs, you know, the beginning of the vaccination campaign. We can't call them vaccinations, but, you know, shots, beginning of the shots. About April, I was really done my film, and I just included one last thing from maybe August in there. But um, so I couldn't really cover all the yeah. fallout of all the deaths. But but off the top of my head, I'll just say that um, when I looked into it, this the littlest bit, I saw that DMX, this rapper who wrote, you know, who let the dogs out, yes. which is a big, kind of yes. big one. Yeah. His family said he got the vaccination. He was in the hospital within yeah. a week or two, and he died. And he only got the vaccination to go on the tour because they wouldn't allow him to go on the tour without the vaccination. Okay. Celine Dion just recently uh, said she's you know having her tour, and everyone's got to be vaccinated to go to her concert. And she ends up par- paralyzed, and she has to cancel her concert. And Celine Dion's probably one of the the you know, best selling you know singers of you know alive right now i mean i'm not crazy about her singing but you know she's a good singer and she sells a lot of tickets i mean she's fine i'm sure but anyway um and justin bieber is is got facial paralysis so he had to cancel yeah yeah. tours and his his wife uh or his girlfriend or living girlfriend or wife uh is a model who uh i just saw on youtube hey hey yeah 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 hey bieber got terribly affected by the vaccine also and talked about all the problems she's having after the vaccination and she and both of them don't even realize it's the vaccination but really these are young people you know are perfectly healthy and all of a sudden they get vaccinated and then they're having all these problems and And you see yeah and and you see early on uh uh, one of the first people notable people to die after getting vaccine was hank Aaron, and and then after that you had marvin hagler which is even more telling because i don't know if you remember tommy hearns another boxer he tweeted out Pray for Morgan Hagler before he died. He just he's he's in intensive care from complications with the vaccine. And yeah. I, I don't know. You're never going to hear from Tommy Hearns again. I'm sure they probably yanked him from Twitter. But uh, after he did that, a Mrs. Hagler came out and said, no, you know, it was disinformation. And and he was forced to apologize. But I mean, this is how long can they cover this up when you have the, the death rate going crazy? All the people. I mean, my family, I will ask you about your family. I'm sure you might probably ostracize as well, but I'm certainly the black sheep. My son is the only one really that sits on, on my side. And 
the rest of them think I'm nuts. And I just, you know, a couple of relatives recently were just talking. Of course, they've had all the jabs, all the and they're just announcing, you know, dramatically they had COVID. It's like, how is this not many? You're, you're, you've had all the shots. You shouldn't need more than one vaccine. I don't know any other virus that ever required that. Right. All the boosters, all that, and you're still getting it, and you're still lecturing. I've never had it. You're lecturing. I mean, with this, what is the mindset going on there? How there, there's? I don't think there's any way to reason with these people. I know it's it's tough. Yeah, I, I I've been kind of um, a little bit shunned by extended family, but um, thankfully my closest family is now you know coming coming to events with me again, doing you know inviting me to things again. But at first it was tough, you know, first they're like, well, you got to be vaccinated to come to, to our, this wedding and all that. And um, that wasn't going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not risking yeah. myself. My wife's not risking it. She's a veterinarian, but she knows, you know, she, she knows the science as well. And she, when she read up really closely on the scientific articles and read the fine detail, um, she realized that, yeah, this is unbelievable what, what's happening here. And uh, so yeah, it's, you know, it's sad. It's it's just, and you can't, it's hard to, to uh, convince people otherwise, obviously. But um, that's why in my film, I mean, you know, even, you know, my brother's a doctor, my father's a doctor, they, my father's passed, but my brother, um, you know, he, uh, he listens to his fellow Hopkins doctors in their department, right. you know, people in uh, that say, you know, this is the way it is, and he believes them. And so, it's um i you know i think is i just try to say well you know science most scientists and doctors really well most scientists i'll say science is supposed to be about debate debating studies and so that's why in my film i show different studies and i show you know nobel laureate nobel winners nobel you know winners for science like uh Dr. Carrie Mullis, who invented the PCR test. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, of course, Dr. Luke Montagnier, who uh, supposedly, you know, just isolated HIV for the first time and was, a, you know, and people don't realize he's an advisor. It was an advisor. He just passed, but he was an advisor to um, the Children's Health Defense and Robert F. Kennedy's group, Robert yeah. F. Kennedy Jr.'s group. And um, so um, people, you know, award-winning uh, doctors like Peter McCullough, who's won national and international prizes for his, his great work, um, has really explained the science of what he's finding after first believing the vaccine would be okay. You know, he changed his mind when he saw what started happening and he uh, started coming out with what he was seeing. And so they started stripping him of his, his like board memberships and his titles and, and things like that. It's incredible how powerful the oligarchs are and how how connected they are to Big Pharma and how connected they are to, you know, the powerful groups that are involved in, in medicine. It's, it's really sad that, you know, people are up against this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about how, so, I and mean, I, you don't want to give too much of your film away, but what no, you can I, talk about. It's a lot it away. <laughs> Right. Well, that, well, I mean, so it's it's let's so you you decided to couple the eugenics with the because I mean I'm completely on board with this is calling the herd. This is what they've been talking about for a long time. They want to kill life. That's what the heart of eugenics is. I mean, the yeah. first the first the first eugenics the first official eugenics move in the United States. And I'll have a, a lot about this in Hidden History Three coming right. up. Is was uh, was uh, Governor Woodrow Wilson of New Jersey. 
good liberal who uh, was a really diehard eugenicist. And in 1911, he passed the first uh, anti, um, uh, I mean, the first uh, ster forced sterilization law. And again, they were going after the people that were, again, when you talk about this, people just think of Hitler. But, but it's amazing the number of Americans that advocated this, that, you know, these, these were the wrong, and it's, you know, it's based on evolution, survival, and fittest. Well, none of these people were fit. You know, you're weak-minded. They call them weak-minded and, uh, you know, parlance to the day. But basically, a lot of poor people and uh, people that Immigrant. maybe had done drugs. Immigrants and people had done drugs, maybe, or had... Uh, Maybe women who had been sexually promiscuous, or there are various reasons. They just threw a lot of people in there, but who knows how many people were sterilized? But the guy he had running the uh, the program in New Jersey, and I it's a really long name is it'll be in the book. He worked services uh, three decades later in German occupied France. Now, he was a Jew, but the Nazis looked at him and they liked the cut of his jib, and they said, "You know, we like you." And uh, they put him into camp position at Buchenwald. So, you know, what, what are the odds of that? that Woodrow Wilson's guy, and that's the kind of, you, you see these people, they pop up repeatedly, but so you, you, you obviously know about eugenics. So talk about how that starts and what the connection is between eugenics and pandemics. Sure. So eugenics, um, I found that, I, I basically read most of Edwin Black's books, and Edwin Black was an award-winning Chicago Tribune columnist who uh, wrote what I think is the leading book on eugenics, A War Against the Weak. It's been translated into many, many languages around the world. He's been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize 10 times. Um, he also, his probably most famous book was IBM and the Holocaust, but um, mm -hmm. he's, he's, which was a you know, national bestseller. But he does incredibly great research around this topic, around eugenics and how it led into uh, World War II and the Holocaust. His parents were both um, Holocaust survivors. They were actually uh, forest fighters, um, Jewish forest fighters against, you know, fighting the Nazis from the forest. And so he uh, outlines the fact that basically the wealthiest families, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Harrimans, as I said, J.P. Morgans, um, started eugenics in this country. Um, and the Carnegie Foundation actually started, like, put the money in for the office uh, to start the official eugenics, you know, office. Um, but they had the, the Carnegie Institute of Washington, which is a huge building in Washington, in the center of Washington, D.C., devoted to working on eugenics. They had, a, you know, a national office, uh, administrator's office in Cold Spring Harbor in Long Island, New York. They had, uh, they spent money, you know, they basically funded um, professorships in college, you know, universities all over the country. And so they ended up, you know, they funded the movement that got eugenics laws passed in uh, over 30, about 30 states around the country, you know, at least 30 states around the country. And um, that caused, their movement called for the elimination, and it's not only sterilization, but the elimination of the population 10% at a time of, of who they considered, uh, you know, genetically feeble people, okay, and genetically, uh, you know, inferior people. And so they said, they end up, their findings said that, that over 40%, you know, about 40% of Italians are genetically inferior, 40% of Irish, 40% of Jews, 90% of people of color are genetically inferior. 
I mean, that's those were their their ridiculous findings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's this, you know, absurd uh, hyper racist um, pseudoscience that, you know, people would laugh at today. If you put this in a movie, people would say that's ridiculous. It's, you know, it's not, you know, it's farcical. But it was real back then and it was enforced back then. And their propaganda was was so you know powerful that they had a movie called The Black Stork, which uh, talked about like celebrated uh, a doctor that led the way in killing babies. Uh, you know, that's what they call, of course, the black stork um, delivering, you know, stork delivering babies, but this doctor killed tons of babies. And that that uh, movie stayed in the movie theaters around the country for ten straight years, um, hmm. and so it was the most popular movie of its time, you know, in the nineteen twenties or so. So this is this is you know what they did back then and how they popularized that. Then they put tons of money into um, Germany. Now Germany was devastated after World World War One, so they they needed as much money yes. as possible. From the outside to to gain regain anything regain you know uh, an economy and so when all of a sudden these oligarchs from the United States started pouring tons of money into Germany into the German institutes they they were the only country European country that actually that accepted loads of money from from the uh, oligarchs trying to push push eugenics in all these different countries England accepted a bit too of course but they also had their oligarch funders uh of eugenics there but you know the only place besides the united states that really became popular of course was germany because of all the money the american oligarchs are putting in there and so they the american oligarchs basically funded the rise of the nazi party in germany and of hitler and um and they of course the rockefeller interest and the jp morgan interest became kind of in, entwined and they also in, uh kind of connected and entwined their interests uh their companies with IG Farben, which was the largest uh, chemical company in Germany and one largest in the world. Um, and so IG Farben uh, was, you know, one of the biggest funders of Hitler and the rise of Nazism and also had the um, Auschwitz uh, camp, you know, concentration camp, which was really like dozens of camps in one. It was just that massive, vast, you know, number of, uh, of buildings and all. And uh, they basically used uh, gypsies, Jews, communists, and all that as slave labor, and literally worked them to death. You know, so yeah. it's basically the way well, it all it's, works. It's, 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 it's such a, but I mean, it's you know, we we know, we, of course, we come associated with Nazis, but again, it's amazing that uh, if you read uh, just and, and the people, Woodrow Wilson, Claire, who I love. You, you, and Nikola Tesla, who I love even more, H.G. Wells. All these people were on the left. And Margaret Sanger, the original president of Planned Parenthood, they, they just said some awful things and they believed some awful things, uh, you know, for so-called liberals. And uh, it's amazing to me that the left was ever enamored because it's such dangerous thinking because when you, we understand, and Riley, I love you in the chat room and I so forth, but it's, it's basically saying, uh, about deformities and everything. I understand that. I mean, we all, we, 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 we all would. We're not talking about deformities. We're yeah, we talking all, we about all would being, love being, you know, someone who they gave IQ tests right. that asked about things like bowling and tennis when, when most people didn't know about bowling and tennis, right. especially immigrants right. back then. So, so these people, it wasn't about deformities. Right. 
It was about, you know, even the poor yeah, were considered, right. uh, you know, defective, men genetically defective just because of their poverty or with their latent paying fines. If you're latent paying fines, you could be considered defective, genetically defective. Yeah, and, and it's it's such a it's such a slippery road. Even if you want to try to, you know, to to Okay. Uh, Rhonda Tate, I appreciate the tip. Sorry, I, I tried to go to the chat room, but it's not. Uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, no, it's nice. I, I couldn't me? get the chat room up, so because I'm, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I just wrote real quick before I try. I just want to thank thank you for the uh, tip, Rhonda Tate. Uh, Let me see here. Fade of reality. Good to see you here. Chris Gray is my buddy. Um, it says, you know a lot about Kurt Cobain's murder. We'll go into that. That's Chris Gray's baby. We'll talk a, a little about the rock stuff, too. I just want to see if I missed anything else. Um, uh, and Christopher Mincy says, potash. is it potash or potash, John? Uh, pot well, potash is fine. It's easier. You know, potash is the way my family says it. But I, I like, I think potash is easier to say. So I. I okay. Well, we well, let's, we'll, we'll say potash. I want to be like your family. But uh, Christopher Mincy says, potash is a Hall of Famer. There you go. Uh, Thank you. Let's see. We're okay, I just saw. Uh, okay, looking to. I think they're probably commenting on my ridiculous uh, internet speed, which is the internet speed's okay, but it's just it's just I don't know what's going on with this thing. But um, anyhow, thanks everybody. I'll, I'll get can I get off here? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm out of the chat room now, so we should I shouldn't be breaking up anymore. <clears throat> but uh, so we should be back to normal. So thanks everybody. Chat room and. Your, your money's going to be quit to good use here at some point. We'll, uh, I'll have yeah, a better, better equipment to be able free to, to. Feel free to um, go back to that chat room every 20 minutes or so. It's fine with me because I, I like, I'm glad they're in there and I'm glad they're, they're participating. I like, the yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I love it too. And it's, it's frustrating because I can't, and I, and I, you know, I, I lose, um, I, I lose things. I start freezing up and everything. So we don't want that. But so anyhow, and I, I don't know why, um, for some reason, it's only YouTube when I live stream with people. If, we, if, we, if YouTube was up, we have tons of comments, but we're not. For some reason, Facebook, I can't see the comments from them either. So it's just the way that this thing works. So we're on our own. But um, so we, this is history of eugenics, obviously very nasty stuff because if you give people the power to determine who is and isn't fit. I mean, that's, I mean, theoretically, I. You look at the danger politically in that because I right now the, the climate we're in right now, I can easily see these authoritarians that are in charge, uh, you know, wanting to uh, sterilize or maybe euthanize uh, conspiracy theorists. You know, it's oh, like yeah. you guys are you know, you're not. Fit. I mean, it's very dangerous because you go from okay, you might not have the right, you're not the right color, your IQ isn't high enough, uh, maybe you had yeah. some other things that we're talking about you might have had in the past or you had syphilis once before then it gets to the point where well you know i don't like your beliefs so yeah, you know, Don, you're, you're, some of these um some of these people that worked for that you know mk ultra ci's mk ultra were heads of the institute of mental hygiene you know yeah. there's, there's governmental agencies called mental hygiene you know and so 
yes, they they don't like people um, thinking outside the box. And sure, no. they, they target people that, that thought outside the box that were, you know, rebelled against, you know, that were anti-war, that were, you know, anti-whatever they wanted you to think. And um, sure. so that's, that's the way they do things, no doubt. And so I, I definitely believe that that we would be on, next on the list as defective. It's genetically defective for, for just dissenting. But well, or no, even the, go ahead. Was one of the, you want to say that something, Don? I'm sorry. No, I was saying, or even the, unva the un unvaccinated. The fact yeah. you're not vaccinated, you're not clean, or you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not fit to survive. I mean, that, that's not yes. much of a stretch for them at all. Look at what you said, and my family even more so. Uh, you know, I've missed one wedding. Uh, my kids missed it because they're not vaccinated either. And uh, we're, uh, you know, people didn't come to my brother's funeral because I'm not vaccinated. I mean, there's, it's just and, it, the holiday get-togethers and stuff. They're not going to be the same because people. Right. Most of them aren't, aren't going to come around me. And so families have been disrupted, but it's, it's, it's yeah. just a short jump from there to say, there's something wrong with us for not having, you know, it's not just that we made a decision not to get vaccinated, but you know, you're, you're not, you know, you, you, we don't want you in the club anymore. And then they just decide, okay, well, you know, we don't want you breeding. We don't want to have kids, you know? No yeah. And the Holocaust survivor that I have in my film, we started uh, a foundation to uh, study the way they use medicine for tyranny, uh, the way they did in the Holocaust. Said they they had the same approach during the the Holocaust in terms of saying, you know, Jews and communists and gypsy and Roma gypsies were uh, unclean and unfit and and carried diseases. That's the way they termed it as the reason they needed to be rounded up. They carried diseases and were infected, could infect the, you know, the regular German population. Um, so that's, you know, she said that was the, the uh, way they angled it during the Holocaust. Now, during the eugenics era, they also had this massive vaccination campaign. And, um, and so they, yes. they pushed it, you know, that there's a number of researchers that believe, and there's a great new film out that takes it much further than I take it. But um, a lot of research uh, shows that these these uh, vaccinations came out of Rockefeller medicine. Uh, they they basically tested when the soldiers going to World War One, and we're talking about millions of soldiers, uh, a dozen to two dozen different experimental vaccines, and that's what caused this massive uh, sickness that they end up calling the Spanish yeah. flu. You know, and um, and so the best evidence is that that uh, you know the best kind of medical journals covering at that time and the statistics at that time suggest that that was the cause, the real cause of the Spanish flu. Even PBS, which I showed a bit in there, said yes. that the sickness started places like Fort Riley and other forts around the country where they were given all these experimental vaccines. And um, so yeah, so it ties in back then, and then you jump up to the fifties when they were working on the polio vaccine and um oh it was just an accident that a uh cancer causing like monkey virus is in the uh, original polio vaccine and is you know threatening to contaminate you know it did contaminate just millions and millions of doses and some some of those doses yeah. were you know uh pulled back but some weren't you know millions weren't and, um, you know, and, and they ended up, you know, they said that they could end up causing cancers a little later in life. And 
my brother yeah. was in that era. He got diagnosed, um, and other people got diagnosed. Now, I don't know if it was from that, but it could be other causes too, of course. But you know, it's just a lot of people. They take the a lot of people think that um, you know. Uh, thankfully, my brother's healthy and safe, but um, a lot of people got diagnosed uh, with cancer and in that era. And uh, who knows, you know, if that wasn't a contributor or not. But they say even you know the, the mainstream medical journals say that yes, they know that that can be a contributor to cancer. Absolutely. Well, and in my book, Crimes and Cover-ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, I have a lot about the vaccines and the explosion of cancer, which was virtually unknown before 1900. Mm -hmm. And uh, it happened to coincide with the introduction of vaccines. And I have uh, quotes from doctors on the record there that basically associated the new cancer with these vaccines and they didn't trust them at all. And I also have a timeline in that book, uh, courtesy of Michael Rivero on his what happened.com uh, website. He listed most of what I put in the book there and, you know, borrowed from him and gave him credit. But uh, it, it's astonishing the kind of, and which is beyond what we saw in the CIA with uh, Cameron, people like that, those experiments later. But they, they were, and this is eugenics thoughts that caused you to do it. They took the most vulnerable people in society, orphans, uh, especially like blind orphans or deaf, or the handicapped orphans were you know, one of their favorites. Prisoners, of course, prisoners and mental patients. And they did so many of these things with syphilis, injecting them with syphilis and just horrible Frankenstein-type experimentations on them. And I, I documented it in the book. And, and then, of course, it went on uh, later in the, in the century. They would spray communities with, with diseases. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, so this is something they've done before and they're willing to do, but I think it's because it's born out of, they don't look at, they look at all those people, orphans, uh, they came from bad genes, you know, uh, mentally ill prisoners. They looked at people like that as uh, these are subhuman. So we're going to use them just like we would experiment on animals. I mean, this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's eugenicist thought. Yeah. But the, you know, obviously with the polio vaccine, they, they were, uh, hurting the, the whole general population that, you know, was, was getting that. And I don't know if the oligarchical families allowed themselves to get that polio vaccine or not, but probably not is my guess. They probably knew. And so, yeah, this really applies to all of us too, but it was particularly ghastly on orphans and people like that. I agree. And so I'm glad you covered that. And um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, but the and the CDC whistleblowers and the FDA whistleblowers, like you know, uh, Bernice Eddy and uh, Rachel Carson are two people that did blow the whistle and they were both silenced. Yes. You know, they, they yes. were jumped on by their, their bosses or jumped on by the media, and you know, uh, but they came out with some, some messages and then they were silenced. They, you know, instead of trying to fix the problem that they were, you know, blowing the whistle on. Uh, they just tried to fix them and tried to silence them. And and now look at the, you know, the, the main reason that people cannot see this live streaming on YouTube or comment is because of every time, if we mention COVID, it gets flagged for medical misinformation. Yeah. But the yeah. censorship has gotten so onerous now where, because basically every one of the shows like this, we're basically whistleblowing to some degree. We're exposing yeah. what's going on and the media, the mainstream media won't, but Yes. Uh, these these avid these avid these platforms are being closed off. Just so thank God for Rockfin and Substack, yeah. where I write regularly, yeah. because there's so few of these. But this is uh, you're you're not allowing the debate. You're talking about the debate, and, and you're right. The people on the other side will not debate. 
Because there is nothing. I mean, what argument do they have? Like I said, yeah. the, the people in my family said, what argument do you have is, okay, you've gotten, I don't, I don't even know how many shots there have been. So I, I'm not getting any, but so maybe they've yeah. had three vaccines and I don't know how many boosters, but these people have got them all, I guarantee you. And uh, yeah. they haven't missed a beat and they still have COVID. So what, right. what is the, how, how do you possibly, now, but they're still and somehow in their mind believe, well, it would have been even worse. How could it have been worse? I mean, what do you mean? I, I, I've never had it. And I don't have any. And I, I know plenty of other people that have vaccinated. So what? explain the science there. What, why are you getting something that you've been vaccine, vaccinated multiple times for? But there's, they just they call you names. And they, and they just, you know, they, you're da- I've been called dangerous. I've been deleted as friends uh, by, by people that used to uh, respect my work. So I, I don't know. I'm sure, I don't know if that's happened to you. Or not. Yeah, yeah. YouTube wasn't, wouldn't allow me, um, you know, wouldn't allow shots on at all. Um, they mm-hmm. even, you know, sadly enough, even when I start, um, I did an interview about uh, Kurt Cobain, one of your listeners asked about that. Yeah. And, yes, yes. that and they kept it, they kept that interview up for about one or two days. They, they warned the uh, guy that interviewed me and then they took it down. So, um, they, yeah, they, they take down virtually everything I do now on YouTube, sadly enough. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, somehow I still have a channel on there, but you know, I can't really put any, you know, content. Yeah. On it, so. yeah that's so, the same way. Yeah. I have to put it on bit shoot. I have to put it on, um, rumble, you know, rumble, uh, right. Right. And places like that and Vimeo. But, um, so thankfully there are these alternative channels and it's great if that Rothkin also you know allows you one this way. So, you know, that's all we yeah. can do is keep going through these alternative um, places and just keep trying to get the word out any which way. And so I also try yeah. to get the word out, you know, by uh, cards and stickers and, you know, all kinds of bookmarks and all kinds of other ways, you know, just in physical form versus just a digital form this way. Well, I think it's going to be harder and harder for them to, I mean, the fact that apparently the number of people dying is just incredible. And uh, at some point, especially if the high profile athletes are dying, the NBA, NFL, anyhow, I'm not not hoping that that happens, but odds are it will because it's happened around the world and it's happened to college players. And uh, if they start dropping dead on the field, like the soccer players are happening, it's going to get harder and harder to explain. I mean, I, unless they just will continue to blame on the unvaccinated, but I, I don't, at one point, do you, the people that are believing in this, at one point, do you, I mean, what has to happen for you to finally say, well, wait a minute, I mean, you've already, look what they've done, vaccinating children who have never had been at any risk from this at all, and others, uh, and they, but they continue to do this and, and mask them up in schools and stuff, and I was out today, and I still, I still see people with masks on, it's like, I just want to say, I don't. I don't understand. Well, explain what you're doing here. You're just going to wear a mask forever. But some of them told me they are. I, I like wearing a mask. I mean, I what's 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 it like in Baltimore? There, it's like uh, you know, yeah. like the DC suburbs of the people masked up everywhere. What's happening there? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's as bad. It depends on what what area you're in. But Howard County's bad. That's you know a little bit more towards DC. Um, Baltimore County's it depends on where you you are. Generally speaking, it's not as bad, and people aren't masked up as much. But there are there still are places where people you know are scared and wear that mask constantly, which you know really just uh, takes away your getting enough oxygen, and is mm-hmm. you know 
it's <laughs> really uh, you know, can't be too healthy, just depriving yourself of oxygen. And so, of course, I have a um, I have a doctor in my in my film that that just says basically she works you know in Georgetown Public Health and says you know wearing a mask repeatedly you get a lot of bacteria in the mask and you get yourself sick and um, yeah. you know that's that's the thinking and who has time who can afford just thousands of masks to you know keep changing masks every day for a few years and um, so you know, all of us if we have to wear a mask somewhere we we wear the same one you know several times. And we probably get back, you know, inhale bacteria, but um, so it's there's all kinds of reasons it's probably not healthy to keep wearing these masks. Now, um, you know, you're talking about all the deaths. If people want to check on the deaths, I, I show the VAERS site, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting yeah. System. That's the only government system that says what's happening with these vaccines, and uh, so you know, really, it's. Uh, yeah, I wish it was correct. It's showing at least you know over thirty thousand deaths now due to the vaccines. But uh, two, there was two studies. One study by um, a Harvard uh, public health doctor and his group that was commissioned by Health and Human Services, and that said that uh, that the numbers for bearers for side effects that include the over thirty thousand deaths now and over. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of uh, serious injuries. I mean, I believe it's up to a million serious injuries now, um, and you know, a million other side effects. Uh, basically, that that represents one percent of the total. You know, ninety nine percent of of you know harmful side effects do not get reported according to the, the government's own study commissioned by you yeah. know government run by Harvard, and a second study by an outside group confirmed that that first the result and so i show somebody citing the two studies when um you know in front of the u.s um sorry texas uh congress it was just the doctor just reading reading off the you know conclusions of the study and but i showed the document too the document of the harvard study and and exact you know wording that pulled the quote from the document uh of that harvard study so this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with we're dealing with a whole lot more deaths than they're letting on to and yes there are more athletes that you know are surely dying and i think they're covering it up in different ways sadly like our the baltimore ravens best pass rusher a guy named uh, jalen ferguson uh just yeah. died at 26 years old and they said well yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it was uh, drug-related. Drug this is a guy that has no drug history whatsoever. He's beloved by his yeah. teammates and no sign of any drug use. No, you know, uh, incredibly, you know, clean-cut, honest uh, guy. All of a sudden, using drugs out of nowhere and gets killed by uh, drugs with fentanyl in it. He's all of a sudden using cocaine and with fentanyl in it and dies. Um, it's pretty out of nowhere uh it's pretty shocking that they they suddenly come up with that but they said called it an accidental death so there's like just yeah. no explanation there was really no explanation around it all that he accidentally used it. i mean it really implies that he somehow accidentally uh took cocaine and died from the fentanyl because it doesn't explain <laughs> yeah. that it happens that all the time doesn't it? <laughs> he was even searching out cocaine it, it's really yeah. it was really bizarre the way they you know framed it and the way they described it all so um you know there's people there are american athletes that are dying all of a sudden and, and collapsing you know as 
other athletes, other, uh, you know, college players just collapsing out of nowhere and NBA players yeah. too. And they, they'd say, well, there was just a sudden heart problem that they didn't know about, but there's just too many. It's just happening too much. And well, so even, even, even using their, <laughs> we'll be polite and say extremely conservative figures uh, on deaths. I, like even the, I think the first month alone after the vaccine was introduced, their figures showed that it killed more Americans than all vaccines combined going back to 1901. That's that's yeah. using their funny yeah. figures. So, right. uh, when I had I had Dr. Peter McCullough on my show last month, and uh, he he's he fantastic. said, yeah, he's one, and he said something like, I forget what the number was in the first month, but he said something like, you know, if we had seen, you know, a fraction of that, I forget what the number was, uh, that the vaccine should have been pulled right away. Because it was yeah. so out of it was so out of whack with what they accept, what acceptable numbers, but yeah. nothing happened. In fact, they lied about it and can continue to cover up. They have so much vested in this, and and the divide is so great between the people who like me and you who have been skeptical of this thing for a long time, and have tried to tell people, look, they're using fraudulent numbers. A CDC directed the hospitals that said, you know, you're going to list the cause of death from COVID. Even if the patient hasn't been tested, that came out in April 2020. I put it on my uh, social media before they started shadow banning me. It, so people know about this, but so, but they're demonizing us. And so they're never going to admit that we were right, ever. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how, how they can continue to hide this kind of stuff, but they do. We're almost at the end of the first hour. Are you, are you able to stay the second hour? Do you have yeah. two hours or not? Sure. Sure, I can do it. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to get back to the chat when Tony gets back. Maybe we'll open up the phone lines yeah. too. But and I, I want to. I know that the people will probably like to hear about your other books. So tell us about the first book about the CIA and 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 uh, the intelligence agencies and rock stars, but at the the war against uh, rock me. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact title in front of me. But talk about that book. That's fascinating. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's called Drugs as Weapons Against Us. The CIA. Um, the film, the film subtitle is the CIA war on musicians and activists. Um, so uh, that's basically following um, the history of, of a lot of a number of different drugs. Uh, first, you know, opium and uh, heroin from the 1800s and the opium wars into the um, into really the current period. But uh, along with then it gets it also gets into the other drugs. Um, uh, cocaine, all the street drugs you can really name, but it focuses mostly on the MK Ultra drugs and uh, those, you know, the, MK, the CIA's MK Ultra program started in 1953 and it was really an umbrella project. It was called uh, Project MK Ultra. It was an umbrella project for about 149 other sub projects. And, um, you know, the general gist of that was the use of drugs as unconventional warfare, it said in their documents. Um, now, when people think of warfare, they think of warfare, you know, like war in foreign countries. But, but most of those projects were, were about uh, using drugs against anyone who dissented from, you know, again, you know, who protests against war, the war, who protested for civil rights and things like that. And so some of the first targets, uh, people that were, appear to be, you know, were dosed by um, agents with psychedelics were people like Paul Robeson, who was a great uh, civil yes. rights leader, one of the top music, you know, singers in the world, um, an actor. John, actually, John Barber, John Barber's favorite. He always talks to the talk about John Barber and Paul Robeson. He loves him. Great, great. Yeah. So uh, Paul Robeson was incredible. And he, he, you know, he graduated from Columbia University Law School. 
um, in the was it the 1920s or so. Yeah. And he was, you know, incredible football player. He's an incredible man. Could speak 20 languages. And so uh, he was about to, you know, three three weeks before he was about to meet with uh, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara. Um, in 1961, he's in a uh, Moscow hotel, and there was a bunch of um, American expatriates, you know, just a bunch of Americans who, who had a room right next to his that, that rent, you know, uh, got in a hotel room right next to him and kept talking, trying to talk him into coming to a party they were having. And there were a lot of really anti Soviet Union guys. And uh, so he had a drink there, and somebody apparently put either BZ or load a lot of LSD in his drink. He thought he was losing his mind and didn't know what was happening. He didn't know he was dosed. He didn't know what was going on. No, not many people knew about psychedelics back then in 61. And uh, so as he called his family, his uh, son came over, see what was happening. His son, Paul Robeson Jr. got dosed also. And uh, they kept doing it to, to Paul Robeson Sr. He thought, um, they convinced his wife to have him uh, go to a mental hospital to help him. There, they gave him uh, over fifty, you know, ECT, electroconvulsive shock treatments at overly high high levels, and so they basically neutralized him at that point. He wasn't the same man after that, and he became a recluse. But that's after that, they targeted the anti-war movement. Um, they targeted, and they just basically popularized um, acid. Coke, yeah. you know, you know, cocaine, speed, heroin, all that stuff. And I argue, I showed the evidence they popularized them through these musicians that we love. Um, you know, everyone right. thinks sex, drugs, and rock and roll was just normal, but um, I argue that it was cultivated. And you know, well, well, didn't, didn't Alan Dulles have the uh, largest uh, private supply of LSD in the country? I remember reading that somewhere. In the world, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, so in 1965, in January of 1965, according to A.E. Hotchner, the um, editor for Ernest Hemingway, he came out with a book about the Rolling Stones, the whole history of the Rolling Stones got blown away. And in that book, he says that uh, the assistant director, uh, Robert Lashbrook, the assistant director of CIA's MK Ultra, Robert Lashbrook, uh, went to to London with loads of acid, loads of money and loads of agents and instructed his agents to get acid in as many musicians hands as possible and um so it was obvious they were trying to get the music to control the musicians through the acid but also to get them to popularize acid amongst you know their fans and so it was shortly you know maybe a month or two later that george harrison's dentist invites you know john yeah. lennon and george harrison and their partners over for dinner and doses their drink, their coffee with acid. You know, puts acid in their coffee without telling them. And they were they were really pissed off at first. But then, uh, some certain amount of months later, somebody convinced them to try it again. And said, "Oh, it's all the rage in the United States." And they convinced them to try it again. They thought, oh, "Well, maybe it wasn't so bad." John Lennon ends up saying that, um, you know, after maybe a couple of years of taking acid, he thought he was losing his mind, so he, he laid off it for a year or two. And then his publicist, who has many connections to all kinds of agents, um, and she, guy, I think his name was Jerry Harrison. I forget what his last name was. Mm -hmm. Jerry, uh, publicist, and then his uh, next course wife, Yoko Ono, convinced him to, mm -hmm. to take acid again. And um, he, so he's taking acid again, and he's trying to go do a solo tour, and he's throwing up before his concerts because his his emotional control was so out of whack that he can't even, you know, stop from getting so so anxious. That he's throwing up before concerts. 
So, um, it, you know, it really, it really hurts some of these guys. And, um, of course, Yoko Ono introduced him to heroin, he introduced uh, John Lennon to heroin too. And that was common also. But, you know, so I parallel this with someone asked about Kurt Cobain. Um, now I'll just say there was also, of course, you know, the example of Mick Jagger, he's, he's a good example because he was a holdout from acid for several years. He didn't try acid until 1967. Uh, this is when he took his first hit of acid. Um, and, uh, that was the person that gave him his first hit of acid was a guy named David Schneiderman and Schneiderman, uh, was called the acid King. And it came out in the daily mail, the London daily newspaper that Schneiderman worked for both MI5, which is British, you know, um, FBI and sure. the United States FBI. So um, that, you know, that's just an extension of MKUltra. You know, the FBI really does the bidding of the CIA. They're under, you know, the director answers to the director of the CIA. So that, you know, that's the way some of it works. And um, that's the way it was happening in the 60s. But you jump to the 90s. And, and you find that um, Kurt Cobain, you know, the best evidence is that they needed someone to popularize uh, heroin again. They were already, you know, they were looking for as many musicians to popularize heroin because after they lost the Golden Triangle for heroin in the Vietnam area where they would, you know, fought mm -hmm. a war supposedly against communism, but really for the resources and what's the most you know, profitable resource in, in uh, the Vietnam area is heroin. You know, opium, the poppy fields, and the golden triangle mm -hmm. for poppy fields and, and heroin. Now, if you go down the mountain range from um, the golden triangle over to uh, Afghanistan, you got the next largest uh, poppy fields, which is in the Afghanistan area, the golden crescent for poppy fields. And so that's, you know, the CIA was very involved over there, according to the PBS and CBS experts when. Um, when uh, heroin, you know, on that era, when Afghanistan, uh, this couple, um, these two journalists for CBS and, and PBS, uh, I have in my film talking about the fact that the CIA, CIA was working with a guy in Goldman and Hechtman Yar, um, and who started the Muslim Brotherhood. And of course, it wasn't Muslim. Um, it was, you know, there were a bunch of people just cultivating hair, you know, poppies and opium and heroin. And trafficking them for the CIA, and so um, yeah, then they so they got huge amounts. Started about 1979 over there when they lost the Golden Triangle. They started cultivating the Golden Crescent, and uh, by the you know late 80s, early 90s, they had incredible amounts of, of heroin uh, that they were shipping all over the world from the Golden Crescent, and so they needed to popularize it in the United States more. And so I argue that they profiled certain you know, different musicians because they're always doing psychological profiling and, and uh, Kurt Cobain fit the bill. So in comes a woman into his life when his album's climbing up the chart incredibly fast, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind. And uh, Courtney Love uh, introduces herself to him, gets pregnant quickly um, with him. And he uh, just does the right thing and marries her with a prenuptial agreement because he was worried about her. And, um, and all, by all the people close to them said that she got him hooked on heroin for the first time. He had dabbled in it because he had this massive stomach problem, but he never really got you know, heavily into it. He only took it a few times before that to try to solve his stomach problem. She got him using every day. And, uh, then he finally found a cure for his stomach problem and he got clean and sober. He was off of heroin and the, um, a hospital that he ended up in Rome said he had no illegal uh, drugs in his system when he had went to this hospital. The only thing he had in his system was, was rohypnol, 
which people know as roofies. And who had that prescription for Rohypnol? It was uh, Courtney Love. And uh, Courtney Love brought it to his uh, mm. hotel because she, he just wanted to see his daughter. Well, I, th I thought, aren't roofies the date rape drug? I mean, why would he have that in his system? Because she dosed his drink when she came to his uh, hotel room. <laughs> in Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. Chris Grace is listening, and I think that's his theory, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, and she tried to kill him with it, of course. I mean, he went into a coma for uh, 24 to 48 hours, at least. People thought he, he, he you know, was going to die. Um, and But he couldn't remember what happened, you know, because it raises your memory of what happened. So um, the best best evidence is that she, she dosed his drink to kill him. And meanwhile, so I found, you know, I talked to Hank Harrison and read his book. He sent me an early version of his book. Um, Love Kills about his theories about why his daughter, you know, killed uh, Kurt Cobain. And so he says that when she was 17 years old, she has a totally bizarre history, totally bizarre history. And um, so she, when she's uh, just turned 17 years old, she's visiting Hank Harrison in, in Ireland, her biological father. Hank, um, Hank Harrison is Courtney. Courtney loves dad. We're talking about right biological dad. Yeah, and um, and yes, so okay. she's visiting him, and she's uh, and a guy befriended Hank Harrison, who liked his. He was the original manager for the Grateful Dead, and so a guy's visiting. You know, guys like so she's visiting him. All of a sudden, this guy uh, befriends Courtney Love after befriending his her father, and um, so his name's um, Steve O'Leary. And um, so he ends up having sex with 17-year-old Courtney Love. And then he followed, He takes her to London, where she's got over a 1,000 hits of acid. And she distributes it like candy to, to all of the top musicians in, in the area. I think she was actually Liverpool, not London. First London, then Liverpool. And uh, where there's all these up-and-coming bands. And so she was kind of copying what Robert Lashbrook did in the 1960s in that, in that regard. She, and she copied that. She took all kinds of drugs to the top uh, alternative music scenes all over the United States, Portland and, um, you know, Los Angeles. And she married the uh, top punk rocker in Los Angeles. And uh, he was scared to death of her. He thought he was marrying, he said, uh, you know, uh, this uh, feminist left wing activist. And he felt like she was a right wing Phyllis Diller. She had been prostituting herself as a you know from 15 years old onwards uh, into the Japanese mafia. I mean, she was working supposedly in strip clubs for the Japanese mafia. But the best evidence in the you know biographies of her say she actually admitted in one of her letters that she was prostituting herself in these uh, Asian countries. And so she just has this bizarre uh, life that way. And so she, I think. So this guy, Stephen O'Leary, ends up admitting that him and his brother, Kevin O'Leary, he actually just admitted it about himself, but um, Hank Harrison said his brother, Kevin O'Leary, seemed like he had, like, uh, was a boss over him, over Stephen O'Leary. Stephen O'Leary, in a letter on his deathbed, said that I was actually working for U.S. intelligence at that time. I was reporting to the embassy in Ireland once a week. I had to make reports to them when things going on in Ireland, and um, it's basically working as a you know undercover agent, CIA agent or a U.S. intelligence agent over in Ireland when he was, you know, traveling with Courtney Love. And so um, it's just the best, you know, that and so much else that went on with all the evidence, the massive amount of evidence that she played a part, that she, uh, in killing Kurt Cobain, you know, she, uh, another musician said he offered her, she offered him, um, I think it was, believe it was $60,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. 
and he described how he's supposed to do it, you know, shotgun, blow his head off. He described, you know, where his, where their home was. He was given a map of where their home was, et cetera, et cetera. And he said that on um, videotape, you know, for a film uh, by Nick Broomfield. This guy was named Eldon Hoke, said for Nick Broomfield for Curtin, his film Curtin Courtney. And within days of saying that, he ends up dead. And uh, so, you know, there's just loads of evidence like that, that, yeah, she was involved with U.S. intelligence on behalf of U.S., which, whether she even knew it or not, I mean, she could be dissociative and, you know, dissociative identity well, disorder. Tony there. Right? I, I, doing John, see, Tony, t- t- Tony, can we, can we open up the phone lines? I see Tony is in there. And I have uh, I, I have in the chat Chris Grace, of course, is excited as can be. I'm sure about you talking about Kirk Cobain. But he asks, "Who uh, did you ever correspond with Dave McGowan? And what do you think of Dave McGowan's death? His cancer was very rapid, yeah. very galloping type Jack Ruby style cancer. And he he died on November 22nd, by the way. Yeah, I um, did you ever get to, to uh, communicate with him? Yeah, we were emailing back and forth, just comparing publishers and comparing notes on, on finding publishers and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, and uh, then we said we were going to you know, trade books. So um, I sent him yes. drugs as weapons against us, and then he he wanted to said he only had one copy left of um, the the one book I didn't have of his, which was programmed to kill. And then he, he yeah. suddenly. Um, stopped emailing and um and then you know of course i found out he had gone into the hospital and his sick he got so sick so fast and uh so his brother um you know craig mcgowan uh sent me his uh, program because he knew he wouldn't you know he says i saw your you know drugs as weapons against us on dave's desk i know that was the last book he was reading before you know he um went to the hospital and i'm so sorry he didn't get a chance to send you that program to kill but here it is and sent it to me and it was just so sad to lose him. And so I, you know, of course I have him in my film and I have him in my book. And um, it's it's sad that I didn't get to reprogram to kill until you know he was already in the hospital and dying. And um, but it's, his work is just uh, fantastic. I think he's really um, an incredible foresight on a number of issues, especially with you know being the first person to talk up about nine one one day after it happened. You know, it's pretty amazing. I've been. I've been honored many times when my name is mentioned alongside him because he's he's uh, this was a wonderful guy. In, in the uh, chat, I want to clear up a couple of things. Uh, Door Dasher um, asked in there uh, it, that is a true story that uh, X one of the many Q centric uh, uh, podcasts on YouTube that are huge. I, I mean, I think X X twenty two has, I think he has over a million subscribers every day. But anyhow. He, he wanted me to come on his podcast a few years ago and he wanted to charge me three thousand dollars to be on there. So he said, I, so that's a true story. That's what I said. Why would I pay three thousand dollars? I mean, you know, and I, or you'll sell a lot of books. I, I, I'm not going to sell that many books, I'm sure. Um, right. Riley uh, is asking about an audible version of crimes and cover ups in American politics. Yes, it is an audible, so. You want to get crimes and cover-ups in American politics in 1963. It's available in audio. The only books that aren't available in audio of mine are Survival of the Richest, because uh, not enough of you have bought it, apparently. And Bullyocracy, who have fewer of you have bought. Unfortunately, uh, they base that on, you know, basically how many sales you've had. Uh, Riley says she's waiting for the hit. I'm sorry, Riley. I don't know if you're a cheater or he, because my, my dog is uh, 
as you know, the, the Diva Golden Retriever, uh, Riley, is, is a female, but I've heard male Riley as well. So, uh, Israel, thank you, Fade Reality, for starting crimes and cover up. So, I'm trying to, to see what I got here. Going with the chat room, it's actually letting me, it's not kicking me off. But, uh, I'm going to see. Tony, is, um, are we able to get the phone lines? Okay, well, Donnie, when you get a chance to like have the people get any calls, but I'm going to close the chat room. I'll leave it open. So I'm not saying anything. So I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Basically, um, so what do you think? I mean, I covered in my book on bar and fame. I, I went into a lot of detail with uh, John Lennon. You mentioned him before. I mean, I I think it's pretty obvious that there was uh, a conspiracy to kill him. The doorman of the Dakota is a guy who was connected to. Uh, the anti-Castro Cubans around Lee Harvey Oswald in 1963. Uh, I, what, what, what do you think of that there? I mean, as a notable drug addict who, uh, you know, unfortunately probably lost a lot of, would have even been greater music if he hadn't been addicted to heroin and elephant or anything. Right. Yeah, but he was, he was coming out of it all and came out with, you know, two albums right before he died. He was, uh, he led a march uh of you know of uh truckers i believe um in san francisco he was you know at the front of a march and he he announced that he was going to do that he was going to you know um march with these truckers um you know so he was getting back into activism he was coming out with good music again and uh he seemed to be more cleaned up you know after just uh, watching and you know raising his kid um, and so I, th I really think he was seen as someone who could speak out um, against the Reagan administration and all they were doing and would have, obviously, because, you know, he, he was um, really against that that element. And, um, you yeah, know, it was really anti-war, obviously. So I, I, this is what they do. They, they seem to kill yeah. um, all the most influential musicians and influential people that can sp would speak out against the war, that would speak for civil rights, you know, um, they've done away with a lot of them. And uh, I think part of the reason is because they are, they are, you know, they are people that could influence our hearts and minds. And the CIA wants to have the most control of our hearts and minds. You know, on behalf of the, on behalf of the oligarchy. <laughs> oh, door, door dasher. Yeah, DoorDasher, the top before he's Doug. Uh, John, just uh, from uh, on my old TFR show, we had a, a caller once that uh, was a pocket dialer uh, and accidentally called the show, and it became like a running bag because he uh, he liked the show after somehow accidentally calling it. So that's Doug's DoorDasher. So glad to have you here. I'm, I'm glad you found it. Um, I wonder if I had anything else here. Apologize. Gotta get a, I got to get it. I have to get a better computer. So hopefully we're going to be working on that. I really don't know why this is what it is, but I hope you can hear me okay, can't you, John? I hope our connection yeah. hasn't been too bad. I can hear you hear you well now, Don. So it's no problem. It's not it's not breaking us up at all now. Just a little Great. bit. Well, that's good to see. Bad. So, it, yeah, we're we're doing what we can, but I mean, it, it is what it is around the edges. But so, and that's, so that's a great. Uh, your, your book is, is kind of uh, has been compared a lot to weird scenes inside the canyon, uh, the, the, the Laurel Canyon and the hippie dream that, that Dave McCallum obviously I, I used that a lot in my book on Bar and Fame because um, he did some great research there. So, do you go into that at all? What do you think as far as um, 
Because, I mean, there, there, there are rumors about it. For instance, you mentioned Mick Jagger. I mean, Mick Jagger, most people don't know, he studied at the London School of Economics. I mean, that's right. not a breeding right. ground for rock stars. That's a, you know, that's a, uh, like, a, you know, elitist, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, that he was just, they worried about him being, you know, very intelligent. And they worried about him being anti-war. Him, him and... Um, Brian uh, Jones, you know, Brian Jones founded the Rolling Stones. Yeah. From all I yeah. read, him and Mick Jagger were the most anti, anti outspoken against the Vietnam War. And so, you know, and, and Mick Jagger wrote, you know, a song, Street Fighting Man and some and, and some other songs that were against the war. Yeah. And so that, that was a concern for U.S. intelligence. And they wanted to stop that. And um so I, I just I argue that they they really threatened him. They you know they drugged him and they they convinced him to, to try acid and then they they threatened him with uh, several you know actually attempts on his life or threats against his life by the Hell's Angels to um, to really silence him to scare him in, into silence. And so well, that's what, this, about jo- well, what about Brian Jones? What about Brian Jones's death? Yeah, so Brian Jones, I describe it a whole lot more in my book, but in the film, I, I just have it in the bonus scenes. Um, I, I wish I would have had it in the, in the regular film too, but it was just I didn't want to go so long in the film. Uh, but basically, Jones, Brian Jones, uh, drowned in his own swimming pool. You know, I mean, what, what do you think of that? You know, this is it's just pretty absurd. Um, the guy was sobering up. The guy was sobering up. Uh, they basically targeted him with, you know, all kinds of arrests and they, they wouldn't allow him, you know, uh, to go to the United, go to the United States with the Rolling Stones on that tour. They wouldn't give him a visa for that. So the, he had to basically um, be out, out of the Stones temporarily while the Stones were in the United States for one tour. So Brian Jones ended up calling his friends, uh, Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon and said, hey, do you want to form a super group in 1969? And this is, uh, you know, according to um you know A.E. Hotchner's book Blown Away where he talks to you know, people close with with uh Brian Jones and Brian Jones was considered the most talented musician in in the Rolling Stones so uh Jones you know gets some tentative agreements from Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon to form a supergroup and they were all getting you know they all had turned well Jimi Hendrix had just turned politically more radical after Martha King's assassination and said you got to get you know support your black panthers John Lennon was getting more and more radical, and here was Brian Jones, the most you know, really the most anti-war of the of Rolling Stones, and this really was a threat. If they had formed a supergroup that was that radical, who knows what they would have done uh, against the war and all. And uh, so Brian Jones, so um, a guy named Fitzgerald, who uh, was friends with uh, Brian Jones, whose family was had actually started you know owned Guinness Beer. So this guy was very wealthy. Um, he says he was at Brian Jones' house um, the night he died, and he he just went into town to pick up some a friend. And when he by the time he came back from town, there was all of a sudden it seemed like there was a party at Brian Jones' house. And when Brian didn't say he was having any kind of party, the uh, driveway was blocked off by cars. Um, there was a lot of people there. He had to park like you know far from the house and then walk around the back to even try to get in. He's walking around the back to where the pool is, and he sees um, someone being drowned in the pool. There were several people drowning someone in Brian Jones's pool. And all of a sudden, somebody pops up and says, you know, you better get out of here, Fitzgerald, or you're next. 
Um, and you better not talk about this or, or, or you're next. And uh, well, so I, he was. I, scared I, yeah, he was well, scared you, you might you pro, you. Yeah. Well, I, I bet you, you you this is something I was just privy to on my own. I, I was, uh, you know, working when I was working a blue collar job. I was young. I did for a long time. Maybe my blue collar sensibility. And but one of the guys that started, you know, people came came and went there, you know, constantly. But one of the guys that came in was a little older and he didn't fit. He, um, he, you know, he had the rock and roll look and he, uh, first I thought he was full of it kind of, but cause he was saying all the people he played with, you know, and then, and then he brought his notebook in and he had letters from Pete Townsend and people like that. But he, uh, he was a regular session drummer for Link Ray. If you've heard of Link Ray, a big rockabilly star. And he told me that, uh, I don't, we got to talking about things and he told me it was common. He claimed it was common knowledge in the business. As he said, Mick Jagger had Brian Jones offed. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's possibly true or not, but I thought it was fascinating. I, I see Tony there. Tony, can we can we bring the phone in or? You got it. 888-770-1776. Can we do that, Tony? Great. How you doing, Tony? Good. How are There's you? Tony. Great, great show, John. Thanks a lot. So if we can bring um, another. I, 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 yeah, Don, I don't believe that Mick Jagger had Brian Jones off. No, not at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I think this was, this was massively covered up and it was, you know, it was obvious that, I mean, he, they drowned him in his own swimming pool. And then I have in the uh, yeah. bonus scenes of my film, if you get the DVD of drugs as weapons against us, you got their, their road manager saying that one of the guys that actually drowned, uh, Brian Jones admitted that on his deathbed to him directly to wow. him that, yes, it was him that. You know, he was part of the people in you know, a group that killed Brian Jones. So cool. it's obvious that it was a murder. It was a murder. It was covered up. Yeah, massively I, by the media. you know, you know, what definitely. That didn't, yeah, I definitely didn't die the way they said it. So, Tony, what's that number that people can call? It's 888-770-1776. It's in the chat. Okay, great. 888-770-1776. Love to hear from you. I know Bob Wilson uh, was texting me wanting to know what the phone number is. So we'll probably hear from him. Uh, you can hear from somebody else. So, uh, so I, I didn't mean to. It, yeah, well, hopefully people will call. But um, so, so this is a fascinating subject. Obviously, everybody loves uh, uh, rock and roll and but why do you think I've always wondered about this? And my friend Bob Wilson, he may be calling. We talked about this a lot. Why? Why did somebody? What is it about music that makes like the greatest talents? I mean, I, I compare like John Lennon and, and Brian Wilson, two incredible composers that, even with their problems, put out so much incredible music. But clearly, were, would have done even more if it had. But what do you think it is about the music business? Why do people like that? living an idyllic life why do you think they turn especially to a drug like heroin i mean at this point doesn't everybody know they should already know that what, what do you think it is about the the, the music business that, that causes people to use these kinds of hard drugs well i th i think um it's a combination of things uh, for one it's it's like the pure believe it or not the peer pressure is something real as cliched as it is it is something real if you got, you know, a bunch, a group of people around you that are also, you know, talented musicians that are start using it, you, just, uh, you might think, well, all right, maybe I'll try it. And then once you try it, of course, you, you develop a little bit of a, you know, it, it the, the up and the down of the heroin. It feels too good when you use it. And then when you come down, it feels too bad. 
that it's easy to start using it more and more. It's hard to stop using it more and more now. Um, so, you know, uh, someone like Bob Dylan, he, uh, according to um, uh, a punk rocker, I can't remember his name, Henry, uh, just forgot his name all of a sudden from uh, Black Flag. Uh, but I talked to him in a uh, music store once, and um, and so he told me he was friends with Jacob Dylan, um, and he says that he said that uh, everyone you know who was close to the family knew that Bob Dylan had a massive opiate problem, heroin, you know, an opiate problem, painkiller problem, because he when he got into that motorcycle accident in the uh, '60s, uh, he, he broke so many bones and hurt so much of his body, he was in constant chronic right. pain. I was on pain pills and then heroin, you know, for, us for many years. And uh, my uh, one of my editors at Covert Action Quarterly, when it's called that before Covert Action Magazine, said uh, lots of people uh, thought that they tried that the U.S. intelligence tried to kill Bob Dylan in the '60s um, with that motorcycle accident. They tried to run him off the road and kill him, but um, nonetheless, he, you know. So when you got Bob Dylan there who uh try you know uses heroin and offers it to you you know it's a chance better chance yeah, than yeah, another one you know? maybe the three is there Tony do we have a call I can't you've got, you've got a caller on the line sure go ahead call okay, yeah. Don Jeffers. go ahead caller go ahead hey call. Don how are you guys doing today good doing good, good. I was just wondering about Jose Jose Perdomo, uh, Lennon's doorman, you know, he had been up the food chain with the Cuban exiles and um, not just a regular foot soldier. Mm-hmm. And he also ran around extensively, not just like a casual acquaintance with uh, Frank Sturgis, the Watergate burglar. Mm-hmm. And Sturgis actually covered up for him saying that, you know, he had died in an earlier date. I believe he's still alive in Miami. I just think that's a heck of a doorman to have for John Lennon. What do you guys think of that? No doubt. Yeah. Good, good description. Good point. Yeah, his name's Jose Sanjarinus Perdomo. He's got actually another fourth name in the middle of that, too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that he he helped he, to make sure that that assassination was successful of John Lennon with uh, Mark David Chapman. Um, you know, this, law, this attorney, Fenton Bressler, was a uh, legal columnist mm-hmm. for the uh, Daily Newspaper in London when he uh, spent seven years investigating uh, John Lennon's death and came up with the fact that the CIA was behind Mark David Chapman, you know, cultivating Mark David Chapman to turn him what he came, you know, he became in terms of being an assassin. Um, you know, he was using a, a bullets from a police officer who trained him to shoot. There's just so much to it regarding that, you know, how bullets that were more lethal and all that he got from a police officer. And anyway, so, um, so it was uh, another another like very respected music journalist who um, wrote a book. I, I quote him in my film book and film. I forgot his name all of a sudden, but he uh, his you know his book about uh, really goes into a lot of detail about Jose Sanjarinus Perdomo and his history and why he assisted Mark David Chapman in that assassination just to make sure it was a successful one. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, and, and, uh, and most people, what I found, you know, just while researching on Bard Fame, I was shocked to know that, first of all, that Mark David Chapman, unlike a lot of these, whatever you want to call them, the patsies or program killers or whatever, he was married 
before the and his wife, he's still married to his wife and has had conjugal visits for years. I mean, I don't think most people know that. That's so he really hasn't had a bad deal. I mean, literally, his family life was disrupted by this. I mean, what do you know? I mean, obviously, Chapman has so many bizarre connections, and a lot of them overflow into John Hankley's connections. A lot yeah. of the same kind. What, what do you know about Chapman? Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it appeared Chapman was dissociative, and uh, he he was in in a mental hospital for a while, and that mental hospital was was known. I forget the name of it, but it's down in Hawaii where he was working. He was actually, you know, work, he mm -hmm. was in that mental hospital for a while, and then they had gave him a job in that mental hospital, which is, you know, yeah. just bizarre, of course. <laughs> but um, yeah. so that's the way they've done that. Right from that. the psych ward to working there, yeah. Right. Yeah. I've seen that in another case too, actually, but, but it's just bizarre stuff. And that's, yeah. And so that mental hospital was so connected to us intelligence. And that's where like Peter Dale Scott, the great writer researcher, um, yeah. uh, said that, you know, that's, just, it's just known that hospital was known for producing, uh, MK ultra, you know, operatives by just, uh, you know, using trauma and using drugs and using other forms, methods to, hypnotism and all to uh create dissociative um agents you know to do their bidding and that's what it turns out mark david chapman it just really appeared to be he had he had trigger words or trig you know that some of his triggers probably were connected to um that uh book that he had one of them at the time you know the catcher um, in the rye in the rye right and, but, and so did john rye, hinkley yeah. though right so john hinkley also had a copy yeah I, I, I forgot that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, Hinckley's an interesting uh, character because of the fact that, you know, George Bush Sr. actually, apparently, you know, there was a lot of elections he just couldn't win. He just couldn't win an election. He was not likable. He was good as a CIA director, apparently, because he was a shark. You know, if anyone saw one of his first debates, he sounds like a, he sounds like a shark. And then all of a sudden they, they remade him as this soft, you know, grandfatherly kind of guy, you know, like Ronald Reagan came across because he was, Reagan was a much better actor than George Bush senior at first. But um, so they couldn't get elected. So they had to, you know, get him, you know, to be vice president and then try to kill off Reagan to uh, you know, get their own man, someone from their own family in the presidency. So, you know, that's yeah. what, that's what that was about. They were trying to get, get rid of Reagan because Reagan wasn't quite like, you know, enough for them. Perfect. Uh, you know, family member, oligarch family member to be the president. Well, you mentioned too, uh, Mark David Chapman had the hollow points mm -hmm. that uh, I'm guessing he got from, from training. But uh, Hinckley, I was watching the movie by Oliver Stone. It's a little known film called The Day That Reagan Was Shot uh, this last yeah. weekend. And uh, it's been a long time since I watched it. And they mentioned in the movie that Hinckley had built his bullets like he'd specially made them. They're called devastators. Wow. Where I guess you had some sort of liquid agent, and and it made the uh, bullet fragment and become wow, that's like uh, a hollow point. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was uh, like more of a explosive agent. I thought that's really complicated. Like that's, that's, that's beyond the scope of. I mean, I'm I've oh, been yeah. in the military for you know I was in the military for many years. I mean, I, that's okay. I get that's something that doesn't just you know you don't get that kind of uh, insight just because you went and read a manual. Like you have to work yeah. at that. But that seems really odd yeah. too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, a member of Hinckley's family was having dinner with the Bush's family, too. Yes. Uh, Scott, yeah. Scott, Scott, Scott Hinckley, his brother, was supposed to be having dinner <clears throat> with Neil Bush. I don't think they actually did. Yeah. But John Hinckley uh, Sr. Yeah. was president of World Vision International. 
which Mark David Chapman worked for, was associated with. So there's these yeah, connections are everything earlier about the, you know, the, the Woodrow Wilson's, uh, you know, the guy in charge of his uh, forced sterilization program ending up in Buchenwald, you know, three decades later. I mean, these are, you know, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just, yeah. you sit there and look at it. And uh, speaking of Hinckley, and I, I don't want to give it away, but Hidden History 3, I will have uh, Bob Wilson help me on that. Uh, I, I'm just going to say, let, let's, the, the thing about John Hinckley and Jodie Foster, there may be, there are indications that they did actually knew each other, maybe even had a relationship. Look forward to Hidden History 3, because there's, there's, I mean, believe it or not, bombshell stuff. Well, guys, well, that's great. It sounds really good, Don, Hidden History 3. But I'll just say that one of the, one of the only good things about what we're talking about here, about them all being connected, uh, is the fact that it just shows that the oligarchs and U.S. intelligence, um, they, they aren't that big of a community. You know, us, 99.9% .9 of us so outnumber them. And so yeah. that's, you know, that's at least they're, they're, that's a positive. That's our strength, you know, is that we, we outnumber them. And hopefully, um, you know, look, I, I know most people are uh, against guns and no one's for killing and for guns, but we need, I think we do need them for self-defense against this tyrannical government we have. You know, that's what the Second Amendment was there for. And that's, that's why I believe in it is that you know uh, or else we would or else we would be like australia right now where they're using them where it, it's unbelievable what's happening in australia you know because of covid the excuse of covid to oh, uh just to do just to not let people do any anything their freedoms are still curtailed like crazy over there people getting arrested just for you know just announcing on facebook that you know let's have a protest about this something and then they please come in and arrest them you know, I think a lot of people have seen videos of that kind of stuff happening in Australia. You got a call, Don. Okay. Caller, you're on with Don Jeffries and John Potish. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, there actually was a, uh, a there was a man dressed in a Secret Service uniform that actually took uh, took the shot at Reagan from up above that Judy Woodruff reported live on air. Yeah she had seen it was only reported twice and then forgotten about yes. but what yes. i wanted to ask mr potash was who he thinks the actual culprit was in the death of kirk Cobain. like uh, obviously courtney had her ties but she had her alibi being in los angeles at the time but i wanted to know who he had uh, on his list of suspects of the actual perpetrator. Yeah. Yeah. well i actually because one of them who i actually believe was the the actual guy I confronted in Beverly Hills 10 years ago. So that's my question. Thank yeah. You. I got to look up his name again. I forgot this guy's name, but he was basically uh, the guy that was last with Eldon Hoke. Um, if yeah. who he says he, he mentioned, he said his name uh, and um, he, uh, I just forgot his name all of a sudden. I'm sorry about that. Cause I haven't talked about the book. Was it was it Grant? Um, His last name is Grantman. Um, no, no. Um, his his name was. Um, I gotta find it here. Sorry, it's been a while. But um, well, why 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 you're looking that up? El Eldon Hoke, though, wasn't wasn't he the guy that uh, said Courtney Love paid him to uh, yeah. kill, kill wanted him to kill, and then he dies himself, right? Didn't he demonstrate yeah. himself? Yeah. 
Yeah, so so Alden Hoke started to say it um, in the film Court and Court Kurt and Courtney. So he says the first name and they doesn't give the last name, but he did give the last name one tape, one one record for somebody else. And um and so you know I mentioned that in here and I mentioned I show all the evidence about that guy in my book. And I'm sorry I just forgot his name because I haven't done um but I, I feel like yeah. Uh, I haven't, haven't seen it in a while, but if you look at my book, it's in um, the chapter uh, at the very end. But he was basically a guy, I'll describe him. He's a guy that um, was close with with uh, the the guitarist from the, from the Mentors, which was Ellen Hook's band. And he had his own band, and he, it was a bizarre band with a website that says it called um, – had like all kinds of pornography on it. I mean, just naked women with, you know, it kind of, it was just totally bizarre and pretend to be a punk band, but it, there was nothing like punk about it in terms of anything positive messages. It was all just bizarre porno stuff. And, um, and so this guy had connections, you know, he had like a lot of connections to the military, no offense, Tony, about connections to the military. It's just that okay. this guy had a lot of connections to the military. There was nothing. He was, totally you know pro-war and nothing um positive about him whatsoever and he, he even admitted uh, you know being in, uh, killing kurt cobain at one point in a um a tape you know, videotape recording of him but he pretended like he was just being you know sarcastic or facetious but the best evidence does point to this one guy um and so he, he uh so his closest friend who was who who was both in Elden Hoax band and in this this guy I'm talking about the actual murderers band. When I say the actual murderers, just the guy that pulled the trigger. He was he was probably the guy that pulled the trigger. US intelligence set it all up. Courtney Love, you know, aided it somewhat, but US intelligence set it all up. This guy pulling the trigger. And um and this guy came into a lot of money right after Kurt Cobain's death, also. And so, you know, do you, it's do you think do you think there's anything do you think, John, this has anything to uh, Randy Quaid's, I mean, extended to the music business, Randy Quaid's Star Whackers theory? Because sometimes you look at some of these people and, uh, you know, why would uh, Janis Joplin and maybe Hendrix, people like that. Is mm -hmm. there, do they like to create martyrs? I mean, do they, because, I mean, that's a lot of times, look at Bob Saget earlier this year. I mean, if you look at the way they claim he died, I, there's no, I mean, there's no way he died the way they claim he did. It's impossible. I mean, somebody either you know beat him severely in the head or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but Rand, that's Randy Quaid's theory is that they're kill, they kill celebrities for whatever reason. There might not always be a reason for it. Is it could that have, be happening in the music? And what's under the in the music business? They had the perfect cover. Well, he was a heroin yeah. addict. What do you expect? And, and people expect them to die of overdoses. But what do you think yeah. of that theory? Well, real quick, I'll just say the guy's name I'm talking about is named Alan Wrench, and um, okay. so. Anyway, but uh, so you're saying Quaid's theory was that they just kill celebrities. Um, why again? I mean, well, I, he he calls it the Star Whackers, and I think he's insinuating they do it to create martyrs, or they do it because they can. I don't know. I he doesn't really, you know. I'd love yeah, to talk I, to him. I, I, I think there there are Star Whackers out there, but I, I don't think it's just to create martyrs. I think it's to um, kill off influential people. Who, who sure. have the potential of uh, dissenting against the, what the oligarchs want people to believe. Right. You know, when people are become stars, if they start talking about things uh, and and threaten to influence people, 
you know, who love them because people love, you know, movie stars and rock stars, but they're particularly, you know, kind of uh, in love with rock stars because rock stars have a message in their music and their lyrics along with their just, you know, acting and being beloved for their acting. And so, um, but I think, you know, they might listen to, you know, for example, these, you know, a lot of actors uh, became part of what um, was called the White Panthers. Um, Warren Beatty was part of that. You know, Jane Fonda, uh, Donald Sutherland, all these all these big actors mm-hmm. of that time became part of the White Panthers, and they were also involved in the uh, Peace and Freedom Party. And they were all uh, meeting in that uh, house where um, the Mansons, you know, slaughtered uh, people. And so it wasn't, you know, it was not a coincidence. That's coming in my next film, um, coming out in my next film. My next film is going to be that comic version I did of Drugs as Weapons Against Us, but it's going to get into the Manson element. Um, you know, you might have heard of Tom O'Neill and his book Chaos. You know, you, you yes, basically yes. That, Man- that Manson was and it's just an extension, you know, it was a group formed by MKUltra. And um, so Manson's slaughter was of a house where all these, you know, activist actors were meeting. And so they were threatening, you know, to have influence over, you know, over people just to sway them to support the Black Panthers and to, you know, to try to stop the Vietnam War. And uh, yeah, so sure, they're going to whack stars like that. Um, and, And they have and they did. And they still will, and they always will, sadly enough, I think. And so I, I don't think it's just random. I think it's for, you know, there's reasons for it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you have just in the, the three, I mean, Freddie Prinz, I know, you know, I was I was uh, at Mark Lane's office when he got a call from in Hollywood. I was a teenager back then, and Freddie Prinz was obsessed with the JFK assassination and uh, absolutely obsessed with it in his final days. And he supposedly killed himself the next month. I would have never known that if I hadn't been there that day. The the TV movie of this week said nothing about it, and I know for a fact that Mark Lane would say he's calling me every day. He's watching this approved. He wants to do a telethon to raise funds out there. So he died. Sal Minio was also obsessed with the JFK assassination and uh, was set to play Sirhan Sirhan. And Orson Welles uh, Orson Welles had a grand idea to make a, a film about the RFK assassination. Sirhan well, Sirhan signed to play. They died, yeah. What a coincidence they died. Yeah, and they died too. And then Jim Belushi, who I've always suspected, I just knew in my head, this is a guy that had to be, at the time I was younger than him, but I'm I'm out there talking about the JFK assassination. I pictured Belushi doing that. And then I read in Saturday Night Live the history of that. Dan Belushi, Dan Aykroyd just happened to mention that uh, he counted among his friends Judge Jim Garrison. Now, there, there's wow. no way he'd be friends wow. with Jim Garrison. And no then way. I found... I found uh, that Dick Gregory wrote uh, wrote in his book, and I don't know how I missed this before that, that, that uh, John Bellucci called him up the night before he died and wow. told him, I got I to gotta meet with Mark Lane to give him some information about the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. Next day he's dead. So, you know, that's those are, who knows how, who knows how many others that were like that? Uh, I wouldn't yeah. know, but, you know, yeah. so, I mean, so that's, and that's just on one. We don't know how many, you know, we don't have some of these young guys that are dying. They might have been 9-11 people. We don't know. Yeah, sure. I agree. So sad. Everyone loves John Belushi. Uh, it's so sad yeah. to um, see all these great talents, you know, pass early, you know. Yeah, it is. And so I think when they uh, – certainly there's and an element. That, that's what me and you were trying to do, Don. We're trying to stop this, of course, you know. And so we don't like yeah. writing about, about negative stuff, but we're trying to stop it. We're writing, trying to expose it to stop it, of course.
you can't help it. You know, Dave McGowan touched on some of these things as you did. One, somebody like Bobby Fuller, Bobby Fuller for it. I fought the law and the law won, you know, and he just, he yeah. just read about that guy's death. I mean, you know, his body's found with gasoline poured down his throat. And I, I don't know what they even finally, I mean, clearly it was just such, such overkill. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's George Superman Reeves, you know, it, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just happens to be having an affair with, uh, Tony Mannix, who's the wife of Eddie Mannix, who's a genuine mobster that was that was like second or third in command at MGM. I and mean, this guy used to go out and intimidate, we'd tie off police, and Clark Gable would have a hit and run accident, and he'd go out and talk to him. He went and cleaned up the scene when Jean Harlow, I, I don't know what she did, but her husband didn't kill himself, that's for sure. And they went, so they were involved in this intrigue for decades. And then uh, uh, this guy, George Superman, he's thinking he's, he's having an affair. You talk about a, a frightening, you know, you, it's like having an affair with a tiger, as dangerous as it is. And then he he winds up dead. I mean, come on. it's uh, There's so many of these stories. And those are the ones we know. We don't know. Like I said, somebody like Bob Saget, I don't know. Maybe he was talking about 9-11 behind the scenes. I I look at a death like that. I immediately assume that, you know, what, you know, what, what the hell are you talking about? His head looked like it had fallen 20 feet on the pavement or something. And they claim he accidentally hit it on the door of the, uh, the, 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 uh, the bed, uh, the wood on the bed or something. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah it's, Not, it's, it's uh, there's so many, so many we've lost early. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Yeah. People have asked me why I, I don't, um, why I didn't include more, more actors in my book, but, you know, we gotta keep these books and and our films, and let the sure. people actually read. You know, we gotta. Yeah, uh, I could. I mean, it's already. You know, my book with Grant. It's got tons of endnotes, but it's already at, you know four thirty pages, four hundred thirty pages. Um, mm-hmm. and so you know, you can't go over that without people saying, "Are you kidding me? This is you know, I'm not reading all this." But um, you know, so but the more more books on this stuff, the better to expose it and try. Hopefully, try to stop it. We'll see. What what's what's the feedback been? So because you obviously you you have a, a following for the uh, the rock stars. Oh, the rock stars. Yeah. What 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 has been the um, the feedback so far? I mean, I think your your uh, shots, eugenics, the pandemics was just very well done, very professional, great. Definitely watch it on Tubi. You can watch it on Tubi for free. Most people have that access to that. What's the feedback you've been getting so far from people for your film? Yeah, so uh, people have told me really good stuff about it. they really liked it, and I'm really happy they have. But of course, on Amazon, it's been different. So I had some guy uh, immediately say, "Oh, you know, it's, it makes no connection between eugenics and pandemics whatsoever. No, no connection between eugenics and COVID." Even though I say, "Well, look, there's a guy that was, uh, you know, you know." Uh, high up in JP Morgan for decades. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's on the board of Moderna. Surprise, surprise. And the Rockefellers are doing business with Pfizer and doing business with Moderna and doing business, you know? So, um, you know, the, the connection's obvious in my film, but this guy says there's, he, he makes no connection. Um, and so he gives me a one, you know, one Amazon and one out of five stars. Um, yeah. And he talks about homeopathy. Like I give no evidence that homeopathy does any good. You know, I talk about homeopathy <laughs> for a total of maybe 30, 40 seconds in the whole film. Yeah. You know, a yeah. two hour, 26 minute film. Well, you, you, you yeah. stress the history, the history of the, the Rockefellers funding the, and basically yeah. starting the, the uh, allopathic 
right. it's created the medical industry. I mean, you know, I don't know what you think, but I don't think how you call something a success that it, it's the third leading cause of death in America, which is the, the, the medicine is at this yeah. point, modern medicine. So people ought to look at that and say, wait a minute, wait. And I, I think that if they told the truth about this sudden increase in deaths, they may be number one now. Because yeah. you know you got all these extra deaths on the hand, and if they're because if they, if they can be attributed largely to vaccines, don't they become yeah. number one? Yeah, and these Pfizer documents that they forced Pfizer to release after Pfizer was gonna, you know, the government was gonna hold them, and Pfizer was gonna keep them secret for seventy-five years, and a judge thankfully forced Pfizer to release several thousand at a time, and the and the uh, several thousand at a time are showing that there was number of deaths. Uh, during the trials, you know, um, of people that got the vaccines that they just weren't reporting on. And, um, yeah, they were hiding and pretending like they were unrelated to the vaccine. So, um, and that's just coming out now. But, you know, your friend Naomi Wolf, uh, you had yeah. a team of people look into those documents and expose some of that. Um, Michael Ch Chasudovsky of Global Research has, you know, looked at the documents and quoted the documents to show a lot of that. I just read an article today. So, um, but the feedback from, you know, regular people that have just, you know, seen my film and, and talked to me about it has been really nice, really good, really positive, really, you know, really into it. They really like the music. I'm happy about that. Electric Cult Circus was a band yeah. that, that liked, read my yeah. Drugs and Weapons Against This book, really liked the book. So they sent me some free music. I had loads of people send me free music after Drugs and Weapons Against This came out as a book. And, uh, you know, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't, but there was only like one band that I really liked and that was Electric Cult Circus. So I was like, I called them up and said, Hey, you know, I liked your stuff. Um, you want to put some music in my next film? It was my film of the book, Drugs and Weapons Against Us. And they were excited about it. And that was really nice. So I kept them one for, um, you know, uh, this shots to eugenics, the pandemics. And so it seems like they actually tailored some of their lyrics to the uh, COVID times. Yeah same skepticism so they just perfectly played into what i was thinking we were just thinking the same thing that okay we're into another it fits, it fits, and, it fits uh, perfectly how, 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 how did you get to how did you get to getting uh tubi that's a, i mean i think that's a big platform to me i don't know how, how did you get on tubi and that's, that's that was really pretty cool thanks a lot yeah it's basically by um getting a distributor so my first film you know drugs as weapons against us uh, I got distributed by Gravitas Ventures, and um, they're 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 independent in some ways, but they're big in other ways. They just had a documentary that was um, nominated for Academy Awards. They've gotten bigger and bigger, but uh, so they got me in a lot of places. Gravitas Ventures for Drugs as Weapons Against Us. So now I got a distributor named MVD um, Music Video Distributors, and um, and they they seem to have got me on 12 platforms but um only one has come through and i don't understand why so tubi's the only one that's come through there's supposed to be 11 other platforms or at least 10 that are certain and then the the 11th was supposed to be amazon prime but i don't think amazon prime's gonna allow it you know it's, they sell yeah, the dvd that'd, now. that'd be that'd be amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm so, pick one last call don i'm sorry yeah. oh sure yeah, go ahead. Say, before we go there yeah you why don't you go take ahead, the call Colin. Yeah, take the call. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we take them. Oh, um, well, I've been having some interesting. Okay, uh, cut to chase. Um, talking about who killed Kennedy or who wanted Kennedy dead, I think the question is, 
if anybody had any form of influence in any way, who did not want him dead? Yeah, for one thing. Well, I mean, Don, you can answer this better than I can, but I'll just say a majority of the population did. Majority of the population loved Kennedy. It was just the these wealthiest families were against Kennedy, um, you know, really pulling out of the Vietnam War, stopping MKUltra, um, calling a nuclear uh, test ban freeze, yes. doing a number of things that were positive for the general population, but against the will of the oligarchs is my feeling about it. Yeah, I, I, th I think if you listen to... Uh... The American University speech he gave, which I, I consider the greatest yeah. speech any president ever gave, I think you'll get your answer. It's the main reason he was killed. I mean, no president before or since has talked like that. He talked. He talked about. He talked about our alleged enemies at the time, which were the Soviets. But it doesn't matter. It applies to all enemies. He talked about them as human beings. He said they breathe the same air we do. And they all cherish their children's future like we do. Nobody had ever talked about that. Look at the way we demonize anybody now. That was incredibly dangerous. So that, that alone, and not to mention, you know, wanting to uh, really abolish the CIA. That's what that was yeah. his goal, I believe. And uh, he would have made great changes if he got reelected. And uh, just um, obviously, lot, lots of powerful suspects there. I think that I think that was a pocket dialer caller. If I, I'm Doug, I think if I'm not right, whatever caller, I, I appreciate the. the and we're just about we, we're all, we're we're coming in a couple of minutes, but I want to give um, John Polish a chance to uh, sum up however you want. The floor will be yours, and give out all your links, and uh, so everybody knows how they can find you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, uh, you can just go to um, johnpodash.com. It's also uh, shotsmovie.com. And you'll find uh, my website, and you'll find the movie website on on there. You'll find the DVD, the like buttons that link, you know, where you just click one in. You can get to buy the DVD for the film "Shots Eugenics to Pandemics" at either Walmart, believe it or not, Best Buy, um, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. And uh, to see the film, though, right now it's only you know can be seen free on Tubi. Um, it's an ad or two every 10 minutes, but it's not too bad. So um, I hope people look into, you know, the film. And if you're interested in the Drugs and Weapons Against Us book and film, you can find it on there too. And you can find a number of articles I wrote on uh, different subjects in that website also. But um, Don and Tony, oh, Don, thanks so much for having me on. Tony, thanks so much for helping out with this and getting the calls in. That's great. And uh, it's been great talking to you guys. And no, the well, yeah, I, I, and, I, and I'm sorry. I apologize for the fact I couldn't monitor the chat room uh, better. I was there a couple times, and I thought I was going to be knocked off again. So I, I everybody, the, Jim Garrison in the chat room, and uh, Rhonda Tate, thanks so much for the tip, and uh, of Faded Reality, and Riley. And I don't think Riley answered the question whether – well, I guess I can't say male or female anymore. I don't know. So if you want to reveal your gender, that's fine. I'm just wondering because Riley's both ways. And Riley is my dog, and she's definitely a female. will never be gender fluid. <laughs> but, but anyhow, so it's uh, thanks to everybody in the chat, Roman. Thanks for the callers. And, John, just uh, great work. Keep it up. And uh, go see his film, Shots, Eugenics to Plandemics. And it's Really easy. If you have a smart TV, you can get it very easily. Tubi is a great platform. It has a lot of the same kind of stuff Netflix has, but you don't have to pay for it. And it has a lot of great documentaries and anything. And now John's is right there. 
So I don't know, Tony, did you have anything? No, great show. Fantastic Thanks. interview. And uh, I, I'm going to go and get the film right now. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Terry. Okay. It was great talking to you, Don. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. Be here next week, same time for I protest.